Julie and Julia, Nora Ephron's final film, is about two people who are pursuing their passions. There's something so admirable in watching these women create. They're cooks, but they're so much more than just cooks. They're artists. They're creators. They're designers. They're taking something and they're making it into something that you didn't even know could be. It's unfortunate because I wish I could actually eat what they're making, but I'm just going to have to use my eyes and it looks delicious. What I like about Julie and Julia is watching these women, Meryl Streep and Amy Adams, create with such verve and passion and persistence that I can't help but admire everything I see on screen. The film may not be perfect, it's got its flaws, but still, this is Nora Ephron's final film, and I think it's just the perfect coda to a wonderful career. It's Julie and Julia. Um, what about you? Did you? What do you think about Shakespeare? Do you think he wrote everything? Yeah, I think it's a dumb conspiracy. Me too. It's a bunch of bored English majors that don't want to be bored. Go write something. It's like they're like it couldn't this couldn't possibly be written by one man. It's like well it is written Tin so man. Just enjoy enjoy the works. And they do have a point because the plays weren't these are not the like original we don't have the original manuscripts of right. Shakespeare. We have a bunch of actors being like I think it was this. Yeah, we all had to memorize it. So I guess it was this but i mean it's still amazing like it's a double amazing feat at that point yeah that they still memorized it like good for them and that it carried on past his death it's it's like uh, it's like homer you know simpson no the oral tradition of the iliad and the odyssey oh not sexy oral tradition no you're talking about telling stories out loud this is not the kind of oral exam you want Ooh. Welcome, everybody, to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm your intrepid host, <laughs> Ryan Graves, and with me is a trumpet man. <laughs> that's not a trumpet. No, that's a ghost from Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're doing the... Go out! Okay, what's your name? I'm Kelly McCurlis. Welcome. We're and I'm, doing... I, I'm the... Um, what is his name? Oliver Winslow? Uh, who? Lawrence Olivier. Who? The guy who does all of the sounds on the um, Police Academy movies. That was not Lawrence Olivier. I know. Was it Oliver Winslow, though? It was Winston something... Right, right in person, if you know who you are. <laughs> we know you're a fan. We know you, we know you listen. Ryan... Can I just say, we watched Julie and Julia. Oh, Julie and oh. Ju I think we're going to do Julia Child impressions, and it's going to be Mrs. Doubtfire every single time. And you're just going to have to be okay with it, audience. Don't be offended. This is, this is us loving Meryl Streep doing Julia Child. But okay? in, a, it's, in a PG way, not in a R-rated way. No, again... Wrong examination. No oral examination. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's all out of love. This is a love. Bonjour. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get into the movie, can I tell you about the week I've been having? Yes. 
I spent this week in Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Vegas baby. Well, hold on. Vegas no, baby. No. Wait a second. You you can't tell me about it. I can tell you. Can't you can't tell our audience. No, it's all can, supposed to stay there. No, it's no. Not the, the, no. Every I, everything I went to, there's what, been reporters what did, there. What did what did go on in Vegas doesn't leave Vegas. It did leave Vegas it, no, because that's the, the that's LA the Times was there, so I can talk about it. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna. I'm just. They wrote about you and your Vegas <laughs> vacation. <laughs> there's a few sprinkles that I can tell you about. I went to CinemaCon because I work in the movie theater industry, so mm-hmm. I was there with the other movie theater people and every single Regal manager in the world. Yep, 600 Regal managers plus us. <laughs> Um, there were no stars this time, but usually they have like stars. Like when Knives Out came out, like Jamie Lee Curtis was like, yo, what's up my people? Yeah. She just came out and started throwing swag out of like a cannon. (laughs) It's my face on a t-shirt. That's not what happened. Uh, I've never been to Vegas before. Some things I learned. You can smoke on the casino floor. It's weird. If you smoke. Okay. I'm not going to call you gross, but it was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did it feel like you're in another era? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. Uh, Did you wear a suit at all down there? No, I I wore that like kind of like a swag shirt where it's like it's got my logo for the company I work for on it. it wait, that. and it's various degrees of like soft and waterproof. Yeah, I looked like Michael Scott. Yeah, okay, great. So, <laughs> uh, so they all the studios put on their presentations. Uh, I I was impressed with some. I was not impressed with as many others. But I have some good news, rom com fans. J Lo's in the house. Wait, you're, t- wait, you're telling there. me that. It's it's like Lord of the Rings three, Return of the J Lo. Return of the J Lo. It's like when Gandalf says, "Look to my coming, the first light of the third day." Look to my coming ten years later. (laughs) I mean, J Lo's been slowly coming back over the past five to ten years, hasn't she? Because she's been doing a little. She's never been gone. She's been doing kind of a little bit more filmmaking of late. I don't know about that. I can neither confirm nor deny that, but she was the producer of the stripper movie, right? That's what I'm I talking about. she was about. a producer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if she's been doing like directing stuff, but she's definitely been producing and make things happen. So way to go, J-Lo. I just looked up J-Lo on IMDb and it took me right to Jennifer Lopez. Hell yeah. Good job, IMDb. So uh, they showed us a little glimpse of this movie that she's doing with Owen Wilson next year. It's called Marry Me. Looks very marry me, marry me. It looks very rom com. Very excited for that. It's very promising. And then sh- they didn't show much, but she's also making a movie called Shotgun Wedding. And all I saw was her in a wedding dress, cocking a shotgun. Whoa! So a literal shotgun wedding. Yes. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited. Hustlers for that. was the one. Hustlers that she produced. Yes. So, but she's produced quite a few things in the past, like ten years. Way to go, J Lo. Yeah. So. Next year, we've got some J-Lo. They also showed some snippets of some, they're calling it The Lost City. It's Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, so very excited for that. But it's not The Lost City of Z, it's just a different kind of Lost City. It was originally titled Lost City of D. As really? In, you know what I'm talking as in, about? As in <laughs> the, the an D. examination. Drop the D. Uh-huh. Uh, but now it's just called The Lost City, so okay, yeah, there you go. But yeah, it's uh, it'll be a it'll be a good next next year for rom coms. I'm excited. It, does it feel just since you you've got you've got your foot in the industry, right? I got my foot in the door. Does it feel like the studio rom com is making a comeback? It feels a little bit like that. Okay, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. All right. Well, if that's the case, I don't really have a question, but I have a discussion before this movie. Yep. Okay. Because this movie stars um, Meryl Streep, Stanley Tucci, and the impeccably redheaded 
Amy Adams. Yeah. Um, I Before we actually talk about the movie, I want to bring up that Amy Adams was kind of fulfilling a Meg Ryan role yeah. in this movie. Yeah. And we'll really get into that. But Robin and I, after we came and watched this last night with you and Sarah and mainly Theo, because Theo was <laughs> oh, like... boy. Theo was Theo was in love with this movie for the first 20 minutes and then he was like time to be a child <laughs> bored <laughs> um but when we were going home we were like the the triumvirate of leading ladies being your uh, of the late 90s early 2000s being Julie Roberts uh Meg Ryan and um Sandy 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 B yeah that's Ex- Sandra Bullock to you plebs <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, get, uh, check check us out on our wiki, and you can see all of all of our things that we call people. Um, the this triumvirate no longer exists. In these are the young, hot leading ladies that can both do comedy and drama, and are powerful enough to carry a movie and for the studio to put a, millions of dollars behind. Yeah, because I would say right now. Sandy B has transcended and she's like Gandalf the white. Right. Very much so. And we were trying to figure out because it was obvious that like they were trying to use Amy Adams in this role. Yeah. Rachel McAdams also attempted oh. in this role. Mm. Uh, all the Adams, the Adams family. <laughs> um, the want to make, I want to write a biography of like Ott's female stars and just call it the Adams family. It's just a picture of Rachel McAdams and Amy Adams just kind of like grinning at each Their other. Thumbs up. <laughs> Um, but today Robin and I were trying to find like, who, who are our modern equivalents and the names that we came up with. And I wonder if you can add to this list and these aren't names where they exist because we don't think they currently exist, but we think they can if the studio brings it back. Oh, okay. Um, because Anne Hathaway is basically our placeholder in this situation right now. Yeah. Um, she's like a paperweight. She's come keep the papers down. Exactly. But but like Anne Hathaway does like serious stuff and she does, you know, rom com stuff, but she's not as powerful a force as those three women were in getting studios to give tons of money just because it's her movie. Right, right. I'd say in the 90s, Julia Roberts was number one, numero uno. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, because her paychecks were so big. Yeah. So today we were trying to think of people today that could eventually fill this role in the next five years. Hmm. And power wise, I was thinking maybe Zendaya could step into that role. Maybe somebody else. I couldn't really think of, we were, we were thinking, um, what's her name from, uh, not just go with it. Just do it. Do, (laughs) just do it. Do the, do the business. Um, do, do it on Netflix. I've, I'm my boss sucks. Oh, do it. oh, oh, um, that's go with it. Go with it. That's no, the one. Is it go with it? No, no, it's um, set it up. Set it up. What is, why was I saying just go with it? Because I poisoned, I poisoned your mind. Yeah, that's Zoe Dutch. And yeah. I think she's lovely. And I would like to see her do more rom-coms. Sure. And there's there's a there's a there's this weird combination that the triumvirate had, which was the ability to be cute, the ability to be bumbling, the ability to be witty. The mm-hmm. ability to be powerful and the ability to be dramatic. I nominate Zoe Dutch. I think she did all of those things and set it up. I don't. I oh, think she well, did. Go no, 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 no. I, I, I think you're going to agree with me after I say this. I don't think she was like, a, we haven't seen all of those aspects from her yet. No, what I mean is like Sandy B in the 
early 90s before while you were sleeping was making like minor tier rom-coms and hadn't quite broken through uh-huh. so i think that's what set it up is it's like right. you got potential sure that but that's what i'm saying they have potential she doesn't have all those things yet though yeah but i think she could pull it off okay the other person like i was saying i i've only really seen zendaya in um spider-man i know that a lot of people love her in is it euphoria mm-hmm. um and that's a drama role and uh, her her funny in in as MJ is a very sarcastic kind of funny. And so I don't know necessarily whether she's like up for the rom-com challenge, even if she wants to do rom-com challenge. But is there anybody else besides Zoe Dutch and Zendaya that you think might step into the role that these the, the vacuum that has been left? I actually wouldn't want Zendaya. I, guys, come at me. I don't think she's that good an actress. So you've only seen her in the Spider-Man movies. One movie. No, I saw the second one. Okay. I thought she was even worse than that. Sorry, Zendaya. I just, I'm sorry. I didn't, it didn't work for me. Ooh, and it wasn't okay. because the movie wasn't working for me. I just thought as a director, the performance wasn't hitting the mark for me. Well, that's fair. I mean, I'd say. I need to see an improvement. Sure. I mean, I'd say you have to watch her in something else to. to I'm going to see her in Dune. Come yeah. in October something. But again, I think she's going more of the. Um, Scarlett Johansson route where it's like, I'm going to be yeah. in a lot of action slash drama properties. Cause for a hot second, ScarJo was going to be a rom-com person, but then she's like, no, right. I'm going to do that. Right. It's like the Jessica Alba blip. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people might like nominate maybe I'm thinking of like other newer Marvel actors like Brie Larson. I'm like, I don't see that happening. Like, Brie Larson rom-coms just... No, no, no. Yeah. I, I would say Alison Brie could be a contender. She's made some rom-coms, all of them I've hated so far. <laughs> yeah. I, like, it's I, tough. It is tough. We, I don't think that we... Like, the studio system, let's put this out there, makes stars. Yeah, yeah. The It doesn't seem like they're that interested in making rom-com stars right now. No, they're going to the tried and true stars for the safest bets. Right, and all of them are aging out of like these young 20-somethings living in a city roles. Yeah, and it. I don't think... See, this thing, I don't think studios introduce stars anymore. They take people who are established and then, and then they're like, okay, you are a star now, we are going to like gild it. Because I'm thinking about Julia Roberts, like she had done a couple of movies and then Pretty Woman, blammo, like instant star. But Disney right. was like, Touchstone, I should say, was all in on Julia Roberts. Like, that's her, that's our woman. That's it. Well, I We're think it was after Mystic Pizza that everybody was like, ah, oh, Julia Roberts is really going well, like, to pop off. Yeah, but she wasn't a household name until no. Pretty Woman. No. And then same thing happened again 10 years later with Princess Diaries. Disney's like, check this out. We got someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. They're just like, you guys like J-Lo, right? It's like, yeah, we've liked J-Lo since 1995. Of course we like J-Lo. All right, Kelly, why don't I tell you a story? Tell me a story, daddy. (laughs) I really hope Theo doesn't sound like that when he's seven. Oh, ho, ho. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. Ask about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. So, Julie and Julia, directed by Queen Nora Ephron. Mm. It's her, All hail the Queen. Uh, her final film, I believe. Her last one. Before she died. <sighs> which was sad. 
God was getting afraid yeah. <laughs> of the power she was accumulating. Too much for the earthlings to handle. Death is just trailing her. It's like, oh no, oh no, we got to take this one out. So Julie and Julia is a, it's not a triptych. What's a two tick? Like a duo tick. Like a, dip, a triptych. A is diptych. A three, like triptych is three, right? Right. And a diptych would be two. A diptych. Like that sounds like a, an maybe insult. Maybe a biptych. Look at that diptych over there. Or it sounds like a, like some sort of medicine you take. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm on a high regimen of biptych. And diptych. <laughs> So the first story is about the other queen in our life, Julia Child, played by Queen Meryl. Yeah. All hail Queen A lot Meryl. of the queens in this one. Yep. Uh, and it's basically her superhero origin story. Yeah. It's it's uh, Julia Child before she became the Julia Child that everybody knew about. Yeah. Julia before Julia. And if you don't know who Julia Child is, she's basically an American who w- w- was kind of a force of nature who wanted to bring... Real French cooking to Americans. And the first celebrity chef for American culture. Yes, very before much Before so. Emeril, before Gordon Ramsay, before... Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray, before... Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. Uh, by the way, in Vegas, all those guys had restaurants. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, ha- I saw several Guy Fieri restaurants. I saw several Gordon Ramsay restaurants. I had a Bobby Flay burger. And let me tell you guys, it was really good. Was it made of filet mignon? But no, but it had. They're like, do you want sauce? Do you want ketchup? Uh, or or like mustard or Bobby sauce? And I'm like, <laughs> what's Bobby sauce? Like, I'll take the Bobby sauce. Was it good? <laughs> it was good. Um, good job, Bobby Flay. My bo- my buddy Kevin has a photo of himself with all of them. Like all of the famous chefs, oh, really? because he was on a photo shoot um, in Las Vegas with all of the chefs. One of them couldn't make it, and so Kevin is a stand-in. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, they didn't have a Julia Child restaurant, though. No, but they did have Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen right in front of the Caesar's Palace, where I was hanging out. Whoa, it was weird. Well, I, I, like, I don't want to get yelled at while I'm eating my meal. I know, you know, but That's he doesn't not, yell at you. That. He just yells at the person making your chicken. I don't know if I could eat next. <laughs> to that <laughs> i'm sorry give him his fucking chicken <laughs> so it's cool it's cool we have that story happening in 1950s france uh it's it's queen Merrill and stanley tucci her husband who, the tucci who works in the ambassador uh, embassy in, yeah, not the ambassador it's like a cultural he has like a cultural he's an attache which sounds maybe? really like a swank ass job yeah can like he's I don't know if he moved there and had to pay for the place himself or if he was being paid to live there. But either way, I want to do this. I want his job. How about we quit podcasting and become attaches? I want to quit podcasting and become the Tooch, the Stanley Tooch. I don't know if we can do that. Stanley Tucci. He won't let us. No. (laughs) Stanley Tucci, like, there's a knock at the door. (laughs) I heard you gentlemen were thinking about trying. And I'm asking you to get out. He just holds up a sword. Oh, God. You need to kill me to become the Tooch. It's trial by combat. I feel like the Tooch is kind of the Highlander of actors. I've always thought that. As in he crosses time and space and usually is seen with Sean Connery? Yes. If you, And if you want to, like the Tooch has been, it is a mantle held by many different actors over the years. <laughs> Who else has been the Tooch? I don't know. That's the thing. Stanley Tucci has always been. But perhaps someday we too could be the Tooch. We could be the Tooch. So the Tooch is hanging out with Julia Roberts. Do you think he Julia drinks Roberts, kombucha? Is that like and he calls it his Tooch Booch? A Tooch Booch with a Coop Booch? <laughs> No. He He's hanging that. out with Julia Child. He's Julia Child, not Julia Roberts. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. 
the the other storyline we have is 2002 New York, where we meet Amy Adams playing Julie Powell. Julie Cruz. No, Julie Powell. Julie Powell. Julie Cruz is from Twin Peaks. <laughs> Julie Powell. And she's got a very sad job where she's doing basically working through claims of 9-11 victims fund. Right. And slash just other people calling her and making her feel bad about like stuff that she has no control over. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we have worked in customer service. Sure. We've never had to work in such dire like stories like that, but no. we we do like feel for her. It's like yeah. this sucks. It sucks to like walk somebody through something that they want like that is either painful or that they want to make part of your pain. Yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of feeling down in the dumps and her friends are like really successful New York people and it's like good for them, but they also suck. They also suck. Like they they were pretty like most of the people in this side of the story, the New York side of the story in the future felt pretty two dimensional to me. Yeah. And I get it. There's something satirical that Nora is doing about like New York culture of like, this is how people are in New York. And it's kind of annoying that people are like this. And it wouldn't it be great if people were more like Julia child and less like Julie's friends that she stuck with. Yeah. Which I really sympathize with being in CinemaCon because there was conversations there that were talking about movie theaters and the CEOs were like, guys, we are movie retailers and we have to work on the customer experience. And it's just like nails on a chalkboard to me as a filmmaker. I'm like, you are showing people art. You are not selling them things. You are showing them something beautiful and wonderful and giving them experiences. And it's just, I felt for Julie when she was around these people just talking about million dollar deals and like, we're going to put up a high rise. And it's like, you're not, helping people not only that but you're making money they are all much more wealthy than she is and they don't seem like they're very personal they like her friend who is a writer for like a magazine or or a book or something is just like is like hey i'll tell you all about my book but then she like has to pencil her in in a couple weeks for breakfast rather than just having a conversation at the table yeah it sucks. Yeah. So Julie is super depressed and needs change. And I, I feel that where it's like, if you get stuck in your ways, it's like, you're going to go insane. Sure. So she kind of stumbles onto this idea of that. She's going to a do a blog, which is kind of new in 2002. Uh, and B it's going to be about Julia child, her favorite cook, because Julie kind of likes cooking. This is the one weird. Yeah. plot. It's like, Oh, so cooking, like it's just yeah. kind of like, is there, and Robin says it's far more in depth in the book. She's read the book before uh-huh. and uh, she said the movie kind of just glosses over a lot of parts of the book, which, you know, movies do. Yeah. Um, but she has a husband um, who goes by the name of Thor. I don't know. No. <laughs> I can't remember, but he's a guy who's there. His name is husband. His name's husband. We'll call him husband for this movie. Which in the history of Nora Ephron, like dope husbands is the totally the least memorable because you got great Kinnear. And you've got mail. You've uh-huh. got Bill Pullman and Sleepless in Seattle, uh-huh. like legendary nothing guys that are still adorable. And this, yeah. this guy, eh. this guy is there, there. I, I think what's his name is the actor. Oh, uh, Greg Messina. Uh, Chris Messina. Yes. Chris Messina. See, it just felt like a Greg. <laughs> um, Sorry, Greg's. <laughs> I think that. He, and we'll get more into this in when I talk about how much I liked or disliked this movie. I think he, th- if this role was taken by Steve Zahn, 
I think it uh, would have totally saved this side of the story for me. Oh man, that would have been so much better. <laughs> Not just because we just watched him in Riding in Cars with Boys, but the Bellamy that is generally played by our like lead character's first boyfriend or husband that yeah. they're with in a Nora Ephron movie is has to also have like a sense of adorability about them. Yeah. Even if they're pedantic, like Greg Kinnear, they still like love typewriters and are championing their lady. And there's something about Chris Messina's portrayal in this role where he just feels wooden to me. Like this wasn't the right role for him. Yeah. And so it was really hard for me to care about their relationship when it was on the rocks. Yeah. yeah. And he's not necessarily the Bellamy per se, but in a way he is because it's like... If she's falling in love with Julia Child's cooking. Yeah. Or her blog. That's or interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's basically bouncing back and forth between these two stories. Right. So then we jump back into Julia's story and her whole thing is like she's with her husband. They're in France. She loves France. She loves food. And they do such a better job of conveying to us how much she loves food. Yes. Like they, they just goodness it's like basically the framing device for when we're in julia and her husband's world is that her husband what, what is stanley tucci's name uh the tooch the tooch okay when when the tooch and meryl um are living their life if they're not having conversations um it's surrounded by letters that they're sending to their respective friends whether it's the tooch's brother or like the pen pal of uh julia child's and these are all directly taken from letters that were published from these people. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's absolutely a wonderful way to tell a story. Yeah. Great way to get us info. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's just charming. And like the way that Nora shoots Paris is beautiful. Gorgeous. You, you really fall in love with Paris in the way that Julia Childs would, where you see all the charming aspects of it. And that's what you love. Yeah. So she, Julia is like trying to figure out what she should do with herself because she's in her 40s and just kind of hanging out in Paris. And she's like, she attempts to make hats. <laughs> she she goes to, is that milliner? Is that what a milliner Yeah, is? a milliner or a haberdasher, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I looked this up. We were like, we were going to a hat shop in Vegas and like, what, what do you call a hat shop? And I think it's a haberdashery. I looked it up. A haberdashery is technically a men's accessory shop. Oh, okay. Where there could be hats. Sure. Okay. So the she tries hat making it's kind of boring but then she's like no i'm gonna go to cooking school and then they place her in beginners cooking school she's like i'm fucking bored she she tries bridge first which oh, right which breast your it's cards just playing games guys it makes me feel really bad for women in the 1950s especially yeah because i was just like you're not doing anything productive. You're just playing games, which is not bad. I love playing games, but that can't be your thing. There's something about Bridge that is so anti-West Coast because it's yeah. such an East Coast thing. Like Royal Tenenbaums, like Ethel has her Bridge tonight. But that's fine because you're just hanging out playing Bridge with but friends. But it's so formal. It's officious. Yeah. It's, it's not like have come people come in order to play your Wii. <laughs> you know, well, no, you don't but, have Wii Club. Yeah, that's, I mean, you, some people you do could. probably. Maybe I, you should. But like, I, I could see doing like a night of Catan once a week. It's like playing D&D, right? Right, right. But they don't report on the Catan tournament in the New York Times. Right. Sure, sure, sure. But what it seems. What's that about New York? <laughs> Why do you report on the bridge tournaments in the New York Times? Because of all the bridges, Ryan. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. It's a theme. Yeah. It's New York's theme, building but bridges. I, I, I that was, that was their yearbook. There is some kind of like transatlantic, like, uh, 
we just, are still European in a small way kind of thing. Just escalation of bridge being a, a big deal. So, and at the West Coast and us are like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. It, it seems kind of dumb. Yeah. But, you know, I love she realized games, that but... too. She's like, this is dumb. <laughs> so she goes to cooking school. She's too bored with the first class. So she's like, bitchy lady who runs this school, put me in the advanced class. Yeah. And so she succeeds and actually gets really good. And then she basically hooks up with these two publishers slash writers who are writing a cookbook and they all end up working on a cookbook together, which they're trying to get published. And that's kind of the entire rest of her story. Yeah. Her arc is this like years long journey to get this cookbook published. It's like, it feels like eight years or so. Yeah. And it's all like ups and downs where like they have this tentative deal with Houghton Mifflin and then like they can't publish a 700 page book so that they have to walk and eventually they go to Knopf or Knopf why do you say it <laughs> and, uh, does it matter and it finally gets published but it's like I didn't realize how much of a struggle it took for Julia to become Julia yeah and I think this movie does a really good job pacing out that like to 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 be an artist doesn't mean to I mean Especially back then, it doesn't mean to have immediately done something and become famous or become successful or something. Art takes work and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of failures generally before you get something right. Mm-hmm. And um, that leads us to the other side of this story where basically this whole time Julie Powell is doing this blog where she has to get through the entirety of this cookbook over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. And she's not great at cooking, but she's not bad at it either. It just is a lot because she has to like, you know, cook a bunch of food every day. There's more than like one meal she needs to cook a day if she's going to like make this work. Mm -hmm. And she's not always great at it. And she's also working a full-time job. I really feel like they could have expressed that more like it didn't like she she seemed frustrated when she didn't get something right and she was like kind of pouty or sad and i get that yeah but like if you're working a full-time job you're living above a pizza place that means that you don't have like a lot of extra scratch it seemed like it would have been harder and robin said in the book it was like much more of an issue like trying to do a full-time job and afford like to cook all this food. That's a lot of food to afford to cook. Yeah. And again, I was, I was sympathetic because I'm like, I have a full-time job and I have Theo and I have this podcast and you and cook. I, and you I, don't cook. <laughs> I don't cook. Thank God. <laughs> uh, so I, I liked that plight, but there's, I think my overall take on the movie is Julie's storyline is just never as compelling as Julia's storyline. No. And I don't, like on paper, it does make sense where it's like there is a lot of struggle to Julie and what she's going through. And I I understand it, but I don't feel it. Yes. Uh, there was just there was this view of um, Julia Child that we get through Stanley Tucci where this m- movie like Nora Ephron does a really good job getting them in frame together or like resting on Tucci where he just like smiles when she can't see. Yeah. And it makes us fall in love with them. Yeah. And there's absolutely none of that with Julie Powell. Chris Messina is a wet blanket. He's a wet blanket. And then like he, he doesn't do anything charming or good necessarily for, julie powell and yet we're supposed to like care about their relationship like at one point in time to to illustrate this the she's supposed to be making food for like this other chef who is was like a big inspiration for this whole project and that person is going to be coming over and she's making this food for 
her. And so she messes it up the first time because like her, her timer goes off and she doesn't yeah. hear it. So she burns her meal before you know, so she gets up the next day, finishes it and like makes this meal. And then the lady can't come cause it's too rainy and she's really old. Yeah. And the first thing Chris Messina does is be like, he does that thing where he doesn't validate like mm-hmm. that this sucks. And then he, also takes the food and he starts eating it immediately because he's just like, I'm hungry, whatever. I'm going to start eating this food. Might as well be okay with this. Right. And it's like, if you're a good partner in this situation, baseline, at least empathize. Yeah. Step two, maybe say, hey, let's call that person back who is going to bring that lady over. See if we can get her address and drive over and give her some food because that would like save this whole situation for her. And I know they're following a template of a book here that was written and it's a true story, but it just... It really made me less enjoy that story. Yeah, because like the whole they're trying to set up that there's this conflict between Julie and her husband and show how like Julie's project is getting in the way of their marriage, blah, blah, blah. But it's just kind of like uh, I don't I don't sympathizing with the husband being like I can understand if he's like feeling ignored Mm -hmm. and feeling like put to the side, but they're not doing that. They're showing him to be kind of a dick, but not too much of a dick. So we don't hate him, but we're just kind of like, I don't need you to be married to her. <laughs> and I I asked Robin about that. And she said in the book, the, the thing is like, Julie was really bad at cleaning up the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And like, there were just stacks and stacks and stacks of pots oh. <laughs> all the time. And like, at one point in time, she cleaned pots off of like the counter and there were like maggots growing underneath oh. something on like old grease and stuff. Just and, like with Nell and I. Yes, exactly. And so like that put strain on their relationship. And then in addition to that, like there was one point in time when they're fighting in the movie where she calls him like a saint and he's like, don't do that. Don't call me a saint because I I don't want to live up to that. But apparently it was something that she did a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, she's never called you a saint. <laughs> and, and in the book, it's like, he's like, I don't want to just be that guy who's always perfect for you. Yeah. I want to like have a real relationship. So it seems more interesting in real life. Hey, or at Kelly, least in the book. What? I'm going to rewrite the movie. Go ahead. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. Change Chris Messina's character and you got another masterpiece from Nora Ephron. He's the one thing holding this movie back. Sure, I think so. I, I think also the ulterior characters are really bad, but... We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. But what they should have done with Julie's storyline is like, cause we see the Tooch being really supportive mm-hmm. of Julia and he's like, whatever you want, like, let's make it happen. Let's, let's figure it out. Christmas scene is not like that. And what you want to do is show him try to be the Tooch, but struggling under Julie's mess. Sure. Like have a scene where Christmas Cena like wakes up in the morning. Julia had to go to work and it's like his day off or something. And he just walks into the kitchen and he wants to have some breakfast, but he can't like make it comical where it's like, he can't even open the fridge because there's so many pots around and show him like his life is truly disrupted by Julie's like massive project. And he's like, (sighs) we don't really get to know him very well. Like, He's given good Nora Ephron dialogue, which he doesn't do much with. Yeah. But he like we don't get to know him enough to know their relationship because a relationship is about two people. Yeah. And I think you're right. If we got to know this situation from his perspective, in addition, it would really enhance 
their relationship. Because if we knew that he was trying so hard, but he's just like at the end of his rope, just like, I can't, like, I'm just serving my wife and I'm like not in a relationship anymore. I'm like her, her maid which, person. Which you, you, if you want to be supportive for like a time and you guys like talk about this yeah. and, and say like, I'm going to be the one who supports this dream of yours. But what if he also had a dream and they were trying to accomplish them at the same time? And it's not like he just worked at quote unquote, archaeology magazine <laughs> um what do you do i archaeology magazine <laughs> that's what i do <laughs> and it, w- it would just be so much more co- there would be real conflict rather than yeah. like their fight i'm like why are you guys fighting right now this is a dumb fight this is a dumb fight you're both being dumb and so when he comes back and she's like i'm sorry i'm like you don't need to apologize yeah. like yeah, it's yeah, like yesterday Sarah and I got into like a tiff, not a fight, but we both got really frustrated because I had been in Vegas all week, so I couldn't help her take care of our 18-month-old. Yeah. Uh, the like the fridge broke, so we had to defrost the fridge, which meant we had to take all the food out of the fridge. And put them in our freezer. <laughs> and Sarah's like, well, let's just wait until Kelly and Robin come over and we'll just give them our food then. And I'm like, no, I want to like start this process now because it takes 24 hours to defrost. And I was getting frustrated because yesterday was supposed to be my day of rest after a really long trip being in freaking Las Vegas, which is sensory overload for three days straight. And I'm sure. an introvert. And I'm like, ah! And we were just both just like frustrated at life and it's like not that we hated each other it's just like life got hard and for julie and her husband i didn't quite get that feeling i think i think uh, so none of nora efron's characters generally speaking are poor right right and it felt like um the their world and their circumstance was something that felt real when she was at work but when she was at home, it was more like she was like, I don't know if I can handle living here, but it didn't feel that bad at all. Like it, the way that it was shot and the way that it was like realized in film, I wasn't ever yeah, in I a place where I was like worried about whether they could keep this place. I didn't really understand where they were coming from. If they were downsizing or upgrading, like were they leaving Brooklyn to get a bigger place yes, in Queens? That, that was, yeah, that was the thing. They're in Long Island, right? They, I thought they were. No, I thought they were going to Queens. They moved to Queens. And oh, they, were, they started in Brooklyn and moved to Queens. That makes sense. So okay. you're getting a little bit out from the... Like, sure, the and it's a little cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's the same thing Robin and I just did. We, oh, yeah. We moved into a slightly larger place that was about the same price, but by slightly larger, like an extra 200 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's real when you have that much more space where you're just like... Thank goodness. I have a kid. I can just breathe a little bit, especially when you've been working at home with your partner for like two years. And it's important to have that, but we don't get to see them enjoy it. We don't even get to see like any hardship other than one time where she's like, ah, my kitchen's not big enough. Right. It doesn't feel real. And I'm like, join the club, sister. I know. <laughs> like, every millennial's kitchen is way too small. <laughs> one day. So... Julie's storyline basically goes that she's she basically struggles through getting these recipes cooked. She had some hiccups where she doesn't quite do it in a year, but it gets to the point where the blog becomes famous. She starts getting book deals. She she's becoming a celebrity. Yay, yay, yay! And the climax of this of her story is Julia Child finds out about the blog ostensibly. We don't we know don't, we don't know meet sure. her when she's ninety, but we figure out that Julia Child seems to be not 
a fan of what Julie Powell is doing. Not and not even necessarily that that's true. It's just that a reporter calls and is like, "Hey, so I talked to Julia Child and she doesn't seem super impressed with your blog." But there's not like any evidence of this necessarily. Yeah, and Julie's upset about it, but then she kind of comes to Well, Chris helps her a little bit. Yeah, and it's like finally you're validating a little bit. Yeah. But Julie's just kind of like, "Well, I don't know Julia Child personally, but I know her through her recipes and that's how I know her and that's how I'll love her and that's how we'll be in a relationship and I don't need to know her personally, which I totally get. Because yeah. like I feel like I know George Lucas and Steven Spielberg because of how close I feel to their movies, but I don't know them personally and I don't think I want to meet them personally because I would it's just they're so idealized in my head. I, it just I couldn't make it happen. One of the people that's like that for me um, that is still alive is Emma Thompson, mm. where I have read everything she's written <laughs> multiple times and I have like this concept of what it would be like to have a conversation with her and I'm just like would you hate me I don't know I don't <laughs> I know if I want to know yeah. um yeah and so that's that's her conclusion to her storyline and then Julia's conclusion is finally getting the book deal and then kind of it points her towards her next step which is giant TV celebrity, just world famous TV right. personality. Right. But it doesn't ever get into that. It's Which just, I like. Yeah. Love I it. like that we, we, the only bit of that that we get is watching her through Julie's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. And, uh, the, that's, that's the movie. That's the story. So we're going to take a little break, come back for trope talk and bon appetit. Bon appetit. And we're back for trope talk. It's like soup talk, but with the wrong syllable. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> it's like soup talk. Oh, it's like soup talk. Wait. It's the deliciousness. I don't think we've ever done soap talk. No, we've done soap talk. Have we? Okay. I think so. But it's like soup talk. Because uh, that's what we're making today. Uh, uh, uh. So today's trope is cooking hey or actually it's food food food. um basically food is delicious but it's something we all have in common and it's not necessarily a trope per se but there's a lot of tropes around food in movies and especially rom-coms yeah right like there's very sensuousness to food there's something about like seeing a first date in a rom-com or a first or at least a date where somebody makes food for someone else. Yeah. Like think about, um, in your devil wears Prada. Oh yes. Where you've got, what's his name? That's dating Anne Hathaway. He's like, this has got some Jarlsberg in this Jarlsberg Gruyere. And he makes her like the world's best grilled cheese. Right. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but like when, when Robin makes me something or I make her something that is like their favorite thing and you make it for them and it fulfills like a very immediate need of filling them up as well and it's just like their favorite thing and it's wonderful and you put effort into this it's something that i think is one of the romantic one of the most romantic things a couple can do yeah i think food in movies usually is tethered to the emotion of joy yes and the theme of today's movie is really about the pursuit of joy Right. Because even Julie, who we don't see get a lot of joy necessarily, when she is cooking and she succeeds, she she's at least changing her life for the better. She is enjoying it. And even when her husband has like a little bit of her brochette, yeah. he's just like, 
Mm, so good. And we get much more of this from the side of Julian, Julia and the Tooch. Yeah. Something I realized, and I, this is, it's, it's weird. Like Julie is such a relatable character to me and yeah. yet I still have a hard time connecting to her, uh-huh. which is weird, but I definitely related to this idea of you spend your twenties just intentionally struggling to have a really good life for yourself and what I that's that's <laughs> to how have I a felt. really good life for yourself, <laughs> or, or just to at like least get to a point a, where you can a livable life, so you don't have to work for minimum wage. <laughs> but like you're t- you're in your twenties, you're getting through college, and then you move to a city where you have to live on minimum wage on just a really small cramped apartment with Kelly, which was <laughs> fun. But yeah, yeah, and like it's a nice apartment. So much of my twenties was like getting that feature made, getting the short film made, writing all these scripts, just spending all of my time not at my day job working on stuff and trying to make things happen and i thought i thought in my 20s by my 30s it will have paid off and it's kind of paying off in some ways but not in the way that i ever <clears throat> thought it would and i'm now 33 and i've realized okay stop struggling so much and enjoy life like you don't want to spend your whole life just working through a barrel of cream to try and make it cheese. Is that a right, is that a right term? Mm, I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, butter, but you were close. <laughs> um, How do you make cheese? <laughs> I, yeah. Add mold. <laughs> okay. Um, I do think that there is something to that. And I think a lot of times watching movies reminds us to. Yeah. Because I have a very f- similar feeling about my twenties where I saw it as practice that mm. would, and failure where it would fulfill immediately in my thirties. And I'd be like, ah, all of this work I've put in will come to something. And again, it has, but not so much as I expected it to. Yeah. And you and I were just talking earlier today about like wanting to try more things that we had set aside in our twenties because we thought we didn't have time for them. Mm -hmm. And I think food, alcohol, anything, anything that you can, it's, Speaking of Anne Hathaway, there's this line in Dream a Dream where she says, no wine untasted. Mm. And like that sentiment is something that I think Julie is really looking for, but Julia accomplished. Yes. Um, and those heroes of us are, are out there are the ones that like keep us trying but also remind us to enjoy. Yeah. Which is very hard when you're poor, but like gets easier when you start to, to become slightly stable. It helps when you're working at a nicer restaurant and you can have the scraps that these people don't <laughs> oh eat. Oh my gosh. The amount of times that I've eaten food off of people's plates. We when do they it, were people. Done. We uh, do it. Like the, the restaurant industry is mainly that. It's, it's, I don't need, I don't have the money to buy my food, so I'm going to save your scraps and eat it. <laughs> um, but I think one of my favorite p- moments of joy is when they were eating off of each other's plates. Yeah. In, like the Julia and the Tooch. Um, which is the name of a movie I want to watch. <laughs> Julia and the Tooch. <laughs> but where they, they <laughs> just <laughs> they connect over how good something is. Yes. And I know that's... I, I actually want to ask you, when you watch movies like this, you famously have a little bit less of a sense of smell than yeah, I have a very your average poor, person. I have very... Not, I don't have poor taste, but I don't taste well. Yes. Not, <laughs> not like when you try and eat me. It's that I can't taste personally. I, I, I taste well. If An examination someone, per se? Yes. Yes. I would. <laughs> so the uh, when when you and Sarah share something, is there anything that you two have together where you're like, 
this is delicious, and we can both express how wonderful it is. Cocktails. Cocktails. That Talk is to me about so that. so our way of bonding, is having cocktails. It's the great inside joke of our entire life that when we go out to bars, when we get drinks, I always get the ones served in girly glasses, and she always gets ones served in butch. Like a tumbler. Yeah, and we always... Uh, they always they give the wrong glass to the wrong person, nice. and we have to trade it back. But before we trade it back, we take a sip of each other's. And we're like, mm. and it's kind of like, I, I try hers. I'm like, yeah, that's a little too bitter for me, or like a little too this for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm and it makes me happy that I got the drink that I got. And because I can only really taste strong profile things, and cocktails are always have strong things going, as opposed to wine where there's subtleties to it. And I just drink wine to just kind of have a a, a nice. A nice buzz, but I don't drink wine for the, like the like delicate flavor profiles in there. I can't notice that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but cocktails are something that I really appreciate. Well, do you do you to find romance in that connection? That's um, what I'm asking. I I would say connection is romance. Mm-hmm. I would say anytime we're feeling connected, it, it is it is de facto romantic. And I think I think the opportunity to do that around food is just something that the reason why we see it reflected in film so often, like we're going on a date. Well, we both need food. So let's make that part of the date. Yeah. Right. It's something that you can connect over. Nay, I say need to connect over. Yeah. Uh, Because I don't know about you, but I eat most often with my wife Mm -hmm. and Robin and I, I I mean, we, we cook together probably, probably every other day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something that does feel extremely romantic to us. Um, and, you know, for, for a long time, making cocktails for her was something where if I gave her something and she was like, mm, this is delicious. Yeah. It was a, an achievement, but it's even more so these days because I have to make mocktails yeah. and you don't have like that cheat of also having alcohol in it. Yeah. And so like cocktail connection is pretty great. Yeah. And it's, there's movies about the joy of food. Like we watched Chocolat. Yes, chocolate is good. I can definitely relate to that because chocolate is delicious. But a movie like Ratatouille does nothing for me because I I don't really mm. relate to Remy and his like love of food, and it's very like singular. And it's just kind of like I'm a rat who loves food. Get it? And we're like cool. But when you combine it with romance, like actual like love between two people, it's like ah. I see you connecting over this thing. Mm-hmm. Thus, there's a uh, second layer of beauty which you can connect to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but overall, there's a lot of food movies uh, like Ratatouille. I, I still need to watch Tim Popo, so maybe that that'll do something for yeah. me. Um, apparently, another good food movie is Babette's Feast. That's supposed to be really good. Um, but it's supposed I, to be sexy. Both of those, Tom uh, yeah. Popo, Tom Popo, and Babette's Feast, both very sexy. Yeah. So I, I haven't really like sought out food films the way that I seek out different films I also haven't sought out cocktail movies like Tom Cruise and cocktail Cocktail. (laughs) well that's you know that's food as a trope but if you could eat a rom-com Oscar made out of chocolate (laughs) would you? yes I would but uh, I would also give it a rom-com Oscar oh you would okay I would give it the chocolate rom-com you know what's interesting they don't really do much chocolate in this movie no, I don't we think it's see a Julia chocolate. Thing. Yeah, that's like at one point in time, Julie gets inspired by a chocolate fountain. But, but isn't that it. part of French cuisine? The chocolate? chocolate, yeah, like a chocolate croissant. Where was the chocolate? I don't know. Those cakes did look good. Oh yeah, okay. Those those were where the chocolate was. Yeah, there's the some good cakes. Yeah. So, I think for this year, hmm, can, can I give it the best tooch? 
Can I? Is that allowed? Greatest Tooch? I mean, I think if you want, you give Stanley Tucci best actor. It's not that he's the best actor. It's just he's the most admirable character. I think best partner is what you want to give him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Best partner Yeah, in okay. the Tooch. Yeah, that was a really... Mm. Mwah. Um, I think... I don't know if this is Julia Child or Meryl Streep's depiction of her, but there's something magical about portraying a gregarious character lovably Mm -hmm. and where it's like that person wouldn't annoy me immediately in real life and Julia Child wouldn't as portrayed by Meryl Streep. Yeah. And so I want to call this best human adaptation. Yeah. Where like this is kind of a biopic in a way, but it feels like Meryl completely became Julia Child. Like there wasn't a point in time where I was like, ah, her portrayal of Julia Child is very good. Yeah, because I only know Julia Child through the television show, and it's kind of like Bob Ross, for example, Mm -hmm. where it's like you're getting to know a very locked-in persona, and you're only seeing it in a very specific context, and you're not knowing the person when they're going out or where they're doing things. And something I really liked about this movie is like they give Julia Child lines of like, it's like grabbing one hot cock. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. And it's like, oh my gosh, Julia Child would say something like that, and that's what Julia's talking about when she's reading their letters, Uh which is the fun part of biography. It's like, who knew that they were like this? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, actually... Getting to know someone as a human rather than as a personality, yeah, is uh, it's a, a, a great experience. Yeah, and I think Meryl sold it for me. I'm like, okay, so this is what it would be like when she's complaining about someone because you wouldn't hear Julia Child like gossiping on her cooking show. No, no, not at all. And that's why like letters are so beautiful. Like I love you got me a book of Tolkien letters at one point in time, mm-hmm. and uh, I love them just because. You get how snarky he is in yeah. a way that you don't quite get from the books. Yeah, and um, like, and he's also very like loving and stuff. But it's it's all this part of a, somebody's personality that comes forth in their letters that don't come forth like, you know. Otherwise, speaking of Bob Ross, though, if anybody wants to, um, a Bob Ross net uh, Netflix documentary about Bob Ross just came out. I was a producer for one of the units of that movie. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to this week. Go yeah. check it out. Check like, it I'm out. Trying to push that a little bit. To, to, to check it out. So you're saying best adaptation of a character. Yes. Right. Best adaptation of a human. I, I do want to ask in terms of adaptation. Mm. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, Nick Cage. If <laughs> uh, Oh, by the way, the Nick Cage movie coming out, I saw a little preview at CinemaCon. Do the Kaufman brothers have anything to do with that? No, because it, it feels, seemed like they would. It feels a little coffin, and it looks so good. <laughs> uh, so, with with this movie, it's two books being adapted. Yeah. If you had the powers, based of, on one of them, based on a blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's based on a based on a. If you had the powers of God, I personally think that the movie would improve if you just cut Julie Powell from this movie and just made it about Julia Child. Right. I mean, it'd be a different movie, but I think, I think I'd, I don't think anybody's going to ever do this, but if I could go see a Nora Ephron, Julia Child biopic, I think I'd see it. Wait, like the story of Nora Ephron making Julia Child movie? Oh, I wasn't thinking wait, that. Wait, 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 oh, no. <laughs> no. Nora Ephron making... I, I thought you were saying Nora and Julia is the movie they should have made. I would love that. It's just... But it's so meta. Yeah. Oh, bad. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I mean, that's, if, if we're going to say how we enjoyed the movie right now, I, I really enjoyed the Julia Child portion. I thought the other half of the movie was fine to poor. Yeah. And there's something interesting just kind of biographically about the movie in the sense of who's making it that Julie Powell has this kind of impeccable Meg Ryan-ness to her performance. She does. Where she's doing mannerisms. You mean Amy Adams. What did I say? Julie Powell. It's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> where Amy Adams is channeling Meg Ryan. There's things where we're getting some Kathleen Kelly from You Very Got Mail. Very much so. And some Sally from When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of... Um, uh, are you Annie? Annie from that's how I keep <laughs> the, names all of them separate of like Kathleen Kelly, Sally Albright. Are you Annie? And Annie, <laughs> uh, some of that in Sleeps in Seattle. So it's it makes me wonder if Nora Ephron does line readings for her and say, okay, say it like this. So I actually think that's true because I also watched, which is a big no no. Directors shouldn't do that. That's not true. I, I, I think that's what I've been taught. Well, I what I. What I will say, directors shouldn't rely on that. You that shouldn't be in your first like five things that you do for an actor. I think if you are Nora Ephron, though, you can do whatever you want. Right. Um, I do think it gets in the way of creating a character sometimes. And it felt unoriginal because in the other Meg Ryan movies, it's just Meg Ryan. So uh, have you ever seen Bewitched with Nicole Kidman? No. Same thing. Mm. But it's also Nora Ephron. Yeah, um, and I really don't see Nicole Kidman doing stuff like that. Nicole Kidman does Meg Ryan-ish stuff too. Is it good though? Yeah, it's not bad because it's Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, but it does, it it feels, to be honest, a little bit like you're watching a Woody Allen movie huh. where whoever is in the lead They're role feels Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's just something... Th- Amy Adams is kind of a hit or miss performer to me. Uh-huh. I, I don't think she's ever bad per se, but just whether I enjoy her performance, it just kind of depends on the role. Yeah. It really depends on the movie. But I do think that she has a specific sort of energy that's very Amy Adams-esque that she brings to a lot of her roles. Yeah. And I think it did feel like what she does was in conflict with the Meg Ryan-ness that she she was trying to channel or Nora Ephron was trying to channel. It was like being in the Uncanny Valley where I'm watching this. I'm like, you're not Meg Ryan. Yeah, you have red hair. She had a Meg Ryan haircut. Yeah. And you're right. Her mannerisms, like especially there's a scene where she's sitting on the floor, sad about like r- dropping a duck. Yeah. And it was, it was like I was watching Amy Adams pretend to be Meg Ryan, but without the context. And so it, it was like, uh, I, I, I see through the veneer. It, it yeah. reminded me I was watching a movie. And Amy Adams does the same thing. And you've got mail that Meg Ryan does where we are getting the voiceover. And then on the tape, Amy Adams is in you've got mail. No, Amy Adams in this movie is oh. doing the same thing. Meg Ryan is doing in you've got mail where we hearing the voiceover, what she's writing, but then on the set on the day, she's, Doing something else. She's saying a few of the words, like she's like writing and uh, da, 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 duck bone. It's like like she's just kind of saying random words alongside it, which is just how make Ryan and Tom Hanks sometimes yeah would do it. And it felt very unique to that movie, but when it's happening again in this movie, it's like 
it, it again back into that uncanny valley. It's like no, 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 no. That's what Meg Ryan does. That's a that's a that's a very personal quirk of Kathleen Kelly. And yeah. now you're doing the same exact quirk, and it it just feels derivative but like, it shouldn't feel derivative because it's freaking Nora Ephron I think this is why when I brought up Steve Zahn I, to replace uh, Chris Messina I brought up Steve Zahn in particular because a lot of the lines felt like they could have been said by Steve Zahn in You've Got Mail yeah yeah, but it, it would be an upgrade, uh, upgraded Steve Zahn because sure, he sure, would sure. be taken he would be promoted to Bellamy material Yeah, yeah. So, oh man You'll get there one day, buddy. <laughs> oh God. Um, Still, I don't. I, we've been bashing Julie Julie's storyline for the longest time. I, I like this movie. What's your recommendation? Do you like this movie? I like this movie. I say watch this movie. It's um, it's not my favorite that we've done. It's not even in the top ten. Yeah, not close. But I do enjoy the performances of the Tooch and Meryl so much. And I like Nora Ephron no matter what. So I'm going to say, go, go watch this one. Yeah. But Nora Ephron movies don't watch it hungry. <laughs> yeah. As Nora Ephron movies go, it's B tier, but at least it's the head of B tier. Yeah, for you sure. Know, because there is some bad Nora Ephron movies out there that we'll eventually get to. So, yeah. Well, uh, I know that you love food, Kelly, and I, I know love you it. love the food in this movie, but can you it. tell me what person you love in this movie? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. <laughs> but mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, I love, I love you. I know. I love the Tooch. Because Meryl is, is wonderful, and I'm so attracted to someone who is like pursuing their dreams and trying to do something that it, they are passionate about that really helps me continually fall in love with someone but the the thing about stanley tucci is he's not only so supportive but he's got like a whip smart mind and you always know that he is thinking of meryl even if he's like if she's talking and he's just like saying yes oh yes of course he's just doing that thing where he's being a very supportive husband yeah slash partner and not in a way where he's dismissing what she's doing but he's like he knows what she's feeling no matter what she says. How about the scene where Meryl gets, Julia gets a letter from such and such person and she finds out that this her person sister. is, her sister is, is pregnant and Tooch hears that. As soon as he hears it, he's walking over to her uh-huh. and already taking her in his arms because he knows that's a hard thing for her to hear. Mm-hmm. And we just get through the performance, the subtext of what this means for her. Uh-huh. This is pure cinema. It is. This and is showing, not telling. Did you catch when the first time you saw this movie that like 10 minutes in the movie, they're walking through a park in Paris and she like looks to the left and sees a couple walking with a pram and smiles. And then Stanley Tucci smiles at her cause he's thinking about her and he knows what she's thinking. Oh. I saw that and I was like, she can't have kids. And then later on it gets confirmed, but they never say it. Yeah. And it's, it's good filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and so the Tucci, the Tucci knows thus the Tucci is who I'm falling in love with. Yes. Wonderful choice. I'm actually going with Julie Powell <laughs> in nice. this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I admire her pluck and I admire her need for something greater than herself. To you're, you're right here with her. Y- where? You're, you're, 
you're I'm there for her. You're right. You're you're here for her, but you know what it's like to have dreams and like feel like you need to break out and pursue them. Yeah, and it's just like pursuing just like making a lot of money or just pursuing just like a basic career with its ladders and stuff just vapid and it's just kind of like we're built for so much more than that you know life is to be enjoyed and it's just like i see julie just going out and going for it butter Butter. go enjoy life and julie's doing it in her way and i want to be there for that and i want to like i can see myself like being the guy and seeing christmasina and just going up turns like you know I see you. I see what you're doing. I think it's really great and I really admire it. And just, you know, here's my number. And just looking at Christmas scene, it's like, you're not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) I think I could be a good, a good lover for Ramey Adams. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's like, that's the one thing that they connect on a lot is like, they they at least bone, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. They bone ducks. So that's Julie and Julia. (laughs) That's Julie and Julia. Oh, my last quibble with this movie uh-huh. was that they she kind of anti Richard Curtis the modern day, where every whether it was her cubicle person like that had like one line and it was like oh man, mm-hmm. <laughs> where she's like shares stuff about her blog with yeah flat her boss flat yeah her friends flat yeah I we don't, don't have time to know to know Julie's friends. But we do have time to get to know Julia's friends uh-huh. and colleagues. I would I split these movies apart. I would love to watch. I would love to see a fleshed out version of re, with the recasting that we've talked about of Julie Powell's movie. Yeah. And, you know, the whole point of this, this back and forth is showing the parallels of these two women and show how they go through the same struggles mm-hmm. in their own ways. And there's something universal about what they're going through. But something the movie doesn't touch on is that Julie's thing is kind of being a parasite on Julia's career. Like yeah. Julie wouldn't have this unless Julia did the work. Uh-huh. And so there's something de facto more admirable about Julia. Cause she's like creating from nothing. Right. Yeah. But, so that's, that's why I'd prefer the Julia movie as opposed sure. to the Julie movie. But then again, I love Julie. Speaking of Call creating, me. speaking of creating from nothing, we didn't really create anything for our, pa- our Patreon this week. You failed, sir. You did not do your essay as I, I asked. I got really, really busy again. So what I'm doing is two essays in a row. Yep. Um, I, I already know what I'm going to write about. And okay. it's going to... It's The first one is going to be your assignment. But the second one is going to be kind of about the triumvirate and what made them great. Ah, wonderful. But we did get a new patron this week. What? what? Welcome Simmons. to the house. Welcome, Stephanie. Also, congratulations, Stephanie. Stephanie just had a baby. Ah, congrats. Uh, I'm going to be joining the fold soon, but you and Ryan are We're um, in good company. Both parents. You look like a great parent. So keep keep getting after it. Good and, job. Uh, write back to us because she didn't give us like her rom com title. Oh so, yeah, we need a yeah. a holy title. So uh, so, but it looks like we do know the movie we're going to be watching next week. Because the patron poll is now closed. It is finished. The winner is The Cutting Edge. Great ice skating film, I'm told. We'll see. Stars people that I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. Douglas Dorsey. He's one of the characters. Douglas. So that means we need to take a poll for September. And it is Earth, Wind, and Fire style this month. So it's music themed. (laughs) 
September. So, your choices. Read them off, Kelly. High Fidelity, Music and Lyrics, Dirty Dancing, and Once. Twice, three times you're out at the... Oh, <laughs> but, but it's actually uh, just once. It's, it's Glenn it, Hansard and Marketa Aglova. Yeah. Uh, who, I mean, if you haven't seen any of these movies, go watch all of them, but come vote. Yes, let us know or tell us, dictate to us what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And dropping this week at some point is our September bonus episode, which is a book club on... The Hobbit. Yes, Not the, the Hobbit. movies. Not the movies. It is a book club for The Hobbit. Ryan and I both recently finished the book me for probably the 50th time you for probably the 12th 13th yeah Yeah. i read the hobbit every time i fly so i didn't finish it this time Uh, i got distracted by my switch because i found star wars episode one racer for the switch which is bitchin by the way (laughs) it's a really good game (laughs) but uh and then when i came home i was so tired that all i did was watch star wars did you know listeners that the distance between a flight between portland and las vegas is exactly one star wars so that's how I flew home. But I did start The Hobbit, and I'm going to finish it this weekend, that, and we're going to talk about it. Is that two hours and one minute? Ba- basically. Okay. Basically. Well, the um, yeah, if you want to come join us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash romcom gents. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram at romcom gents. Email us at romcomgents at gmail.com. Any of those are good. Please remember to email us about like new additions to... Mm-hmm. Like people you would like to see become the next version of the triumvirate. Mm-hmm. And please write a pithy, interesting review on uh, Apple Podcasts and yes. we'll read it on air. We will read it on air. Please, if you've listened to this and you're getting a lot of free entertainment, just go rate us and review us. It really won't take you very long and it would do a lot for us. And join the Patreon fam. It's getting fun. We're, yeah. getting, we're growing a community. People yeah. are talking and I, I think The Hobbit is such a fun thing to talk about and that's that's the great thing about the patreon is i i personally like hearing my podcast when they go off script and talk about things that like one of my video game podcasters mm-hmm. talk about movies or mm-hmm. like tv shows i'm like this is great yeah, I, I never get this so this is the our opportunity to speak non-rom-com and it's a fun yeah, place yeah. to be and and so if you are really interested in telling us what to talk about that's not rom-com but i mean come on over come you on can over. dictate dictate all right um well Cutting edge next week. Put on your skates, get ready for the cold weather, and off we go. Okay, I love you too. And this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on a gentleman's guide to rom-coms. Whoa, is that that is Reezy Fonz? Yeah. <gasps> cool. I love Reezy Fonz is also um somebody else. Uh, a villain uh, that's not Rasputin recently. Rees Ifans. That's right. He's in The Amazing Spider-Man as the Lizard Man. Oh.